I was a little bit disappointed when I realized that there's five Sundays in October. <laughs> I thought today was going to be potluck. <laughs> oh, well. So, uh, you can be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 2, the end of the chapter. Marilyn and I were privileged to help out with Chris and Joyce Kramer last week out at Warm Beach uh, Campground or Conference Center. We had a, um, did I already tell you about this? How could I? It hadn't happened. Um, we had village missionaries who had been two and three years on the field come to what was called a balanced life conference. Now that they had kind of seen what happens when you really are a village missionary, and the idea that Chris and Joyce had was to bring them together and be an encouragement to them and kind of give them some tips, and uh, we would have some discussions, and Marilyn and I were going to be on a panel uh, on Tuesday night that they could ask us questions, and we were going to zoom in from Missouri because Chris thought we were still in Missouri, and when we found out we were here, then that was great. So we could come Monday night and greet everybody, and then we could come Tuesday, and then we could come Wednesday, and so we were there like the whole time, and it was really neat because we knew <clears throat> all of these couples. We'd met them before at uh, conferences, and we had some from like New Hampshire and New York and in different, different places across the United States. It was really neat getting to for us, getting to connect with these young couples again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I got a, a notice from Chris that both he and Joyce had tested positive for COVID last week, or I'm the week before last, and so I was really urgent and sincere in prayer because Chris said, well, you can have my notes. And I'm like, I'm thinking, I have no idea. All I wanted to do was just go there and be a cheerleader and a connector between everybody, you know. And sure, we'll greet people as they come in, but I wasn't going to run the thing. And uh, so God answered our prayer. And Chris and Joyce were able to be there all week. And, and it was really neat getting to see these couples and encourage them along. How precious our village missionaries are because we send them into these really small little communities, and they go in there not just to be a pulpiteer preaching in the pulpit and spending all their time studying and everything like that, though they need to do that too, and that was part of the balanced life. How do you balance the time you need to study and prepare for your sermon with being a missionary? Because we want them to be missionaries out in that community. We want them to be pastors, shepherds of the, uh, the sheep in the church, um, to care for the, the people that are in the church, to visit them when they're sick and they're in the hospital and visit them in their homes. And, but the other job of a pastor, I mean, it's spelled out right there, not in the village missions manual, but in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4, that pastors and teachers are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so that's a, a whole other thing. And so that's one of the reasons why Chris wanted me to be there, is to encourage them to use the CDI to begin equipping people in their church so that there would be more than just one pastor. 
Um, very thankful for Machias Community Church, and we have uh, people who are equipped here who take on the role of caring for the sheep, pastoring the sheep. There is a, a big difference between a preacher and a pastor. Now, we use that term wrong sometimes. We call the guy who preaches, we say, well, that's the pastor of the church. Well, he might be, um, but we equip people to stand up in front of the congregation and share the word of God. That's an important thing uh, for them to do. But this quality of being a pastor and really caring for the flock and tending to the flock is not a, not a Sunday morning deal. That is a 24-7 deal. And so they've got to find out how to, how to have margin in their life so that they don't just be a crazy guy like I have been for a long time and do all this stuff and try to do everything, you know, you've got to equip other people to help you do that. And then we need them to be missionaries. We need you to pray. I want you to pray. Now, you have a vested interest in this, right? Because we would like to get another village missionary here. Right now, I don't know when that's going to happen or how that's going to happen. We have 24 empty fields already. Besides the ones that are asking, we have 24 already that we don't have somebody to send to unless God sends us people. So Jesus said, I want you to look and see that the fields are white to harvest, and now pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into the harvest field. And we're, we're looking for people that it's really hard to find. There's people in Bible schools who want to be missionaries, but to them being a missionary is going to some other culture, going to some other country. You know, if it doesn't involve travel, then you're not being a missionary. Well, that's not really true. We need, we need people with a missionary heart and missionary vision right here. And, and when we go to Bible schools, it's really hard to convince them that missions is here too. And then we find sometimes there's people who are in preaching classes, homiletics is what it's called, and, and they're taking courses on how to be a, a preacher or a pastor, but they really don't want to be the lead pastor. They want to be the, the preacher to the junior high or to the, you know, the whatever group, and they want to be on a staff of a larger church. And, and yet we're looking for this needle in the haystack of finding someone who is willing to go and to be a shepherd to, us, to this group of people who need to have a shepherd. They're like sheep without a shepherd in these small communities. And then, but we also want somebody that can preach, too. So, but I remember, just like Josh says, you know, it's a good thing the Lord doesn't care how we sing, right? You know, well, I remember Reverend Duff, the, the guy who started Village Missions. I'm that old. I remember him. Uh, he's in heaven now. But he said, you know, if the people know you love them and you're a poor preacher, they'll overlook that. But if you're a great preacher and you don't love the people, they won't overlook that. I thought, Phew, well, great. Then that makes it easy. Love the people, you know, and then do your best at preaching. But you've got to love the people. So we're trying to find these, these people that are like, 
They're jewels, they're, they're, they're rare. And so to, for us to be with these couples that have been in two and three years now, and, and every one of them, they're, I mean, they are, they're just precious. Some of you might remember Dave Carr. Dave came to Bible school here, not the way I wanted people to come here. Dave commuted like three hours from Joint Base Lewis McCord after he was still in the Air Force and he'd get off his shift. He'd drive up here and go to school, drive back. He was doing that two nights a week at least. And then there were some quarters where he was doing that three nights a week. And then Dave and Serena... Uh, it was, it, he had a pastor's heart, and he had a missionary's heart. I mean, when I met this guy, I knew, okay, we want this guy in Village Missions. And um, the, it was so cool. I got to go to his commissioning ordination service at the church he attended down in Elk, um, Elk Plain, down near Spanaway. And um, so anyway, this was his retirement from the Air Force, and there's all these Air Force Air force guys, you know, with their officers and stuff with their uniforms, and his commanding officer was there and everything, and, and then they did this uh, decommissioning him from the Air Force, and it was pretty impressive ceremony and everything, and then these guys all march into the back, change their clothes, come back out, same guys, only now they're wearing suits because they were the elders in Elk Plain Community Church, and they laid hands on him and ordained him into the ministry, and and Dave and Serena went to, of all places, Linwood, California, which is kind of a suburb of, it is a suburb of Barstow, Barstow, California. That's in the Mojave Desert. It's a really tough place to be. Uh, we've been serving there for a long time. In fact, one of the pastors there was Jack Kennedy, who used to be, be ended up becoming the, a director of Village Missions for a time. It started in the old polka dot cafe there on Route 66. It used to be a cafe, but in the back room, it was something else, a different kind of business. And so it had this... Uh, anyway, I'm not even going into that story, but it's a rough town. Marilyn and I went down there several times to visit, and the first time we went to visit, I'd heard stories about the gang wars and the SWAT teams and all this kind of stuff. And as we drove in here to Linwood, um, it's like... It's like barbed wire, razor wire all over the tops of the chain link fences surrounding not just businesses, but the churches. It was amazing to me that the churches, not only were they locked up, but they were secured against the people in the community. And here's Linwood Community Church, just wide open, out in the open, and Dave and Serena Carr loving the people, serving the people. Uh, he took me out visiting with him. This is really cool. I mean, I got to meet people that, well, sometimes you'd wonder, do you really feel safe in this neighborhood? No, but David went anyway, and he visited everybody. They all knew him. Uh, they knew that he loved them in that community, and even though it was a suburb of Barstow, David became famous for his love, and he was voted Man of the Year for Barstow. He had youth group at night, at night, and he would have like, how many kids were there, Marilyn, that would come to that? I don't know, 40, 50, 60 kids from Linwood. They had no other place to go. Tough, tough place to be. Dave and Serena were there for a long time. They're in Phillipsburg, Montana now. 
um, and they're doing great. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave has big shoes to fill, though. Be praying for, for Linwood. It's going to be hard to find somebody that can go in there because it's a tough, tough place. Always has been. But to do what Dave did in that community, they've been without a pastor now two years. The church has gone from running around 60 people down to about 12. That's the last I heard. And it's just, it just kind of breaks my heart having seen the ministry that was flourishing there. So be praying for, we do that. And, and, and you, just like I had a vested interest in praying for Chris and Joyce, that they would test negative for COVID, that they would get over this without much in the way of symptoms, and that they'd be able to come and do this Balanced Life Conference this, this past week. You have a vested interest in praying for village missions and praying that we will be able to find uh, a village missionary to come here. Not because we don't have pastors here, because we do in our church. We have shepherds within this church who are caring for the body, watching over the body, visiting the sick, going to the hospital, taking people to the doctor, caring for them. And, and you need to value them for their ministry and their work. Um, one other little story I want to tell you uh, before we get into the word, because it's, it's, it's about how God led me into being a, a shepherd, a pastor. When I became a Christian, when I finally quit my war against believing in God and found out that God loved me just the way I was, sinner that I was, that, he, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and, and took it all away, what I wanted to do more than anything is tell other people about it. And, and I did. I tried to do that. I remember uh, another young guy in the church that we were going to out in Warren Beach, um, Ross. I said, hey, let's go knocking on doors. And, but let's not do it here because the houses are too far apart. Let's go to Marysville. And so we went to Marysville. We're knocking on doors. And no, we're not getting any takers. First of all, we had to convince them we're not Jehovah's Witness. We're not Mormons. We just want to tell you about Jesus. I remember this one guy said, I don't need any. I'm a Lutheran. And I was well, <laughs> that didn't make sense to me. But so we kept trying to tell people about Christ. And, and Ross was ready to give up, you know, house 49. And he says, let's just quit. And I said, I can't quit on an odd number. <laughs> can't do it. You know, I had to go 50, and somebody accepted Christ in house 50. If I would have been put out as a missionary somewhere, just given a title, but didn't have a heart for it, do you think I would have become a missionary by going somewhere, or by getting that title or by going to Bible school and learning stuff about being a missionary. No matter how many missionary classes you take, no matter what title they give you, if you don't have a missionary heart, all that stuff is not going to make the difference at all. When I got rid of being a dairy farmer and went to Bible school, I was so excited about it. I was so excited about what I was learning, and I thought, why aren't we learning this in our church? Why did I have to go to Bible school to learn this, you know? Why do I have to pay money and drive through Seattle traffic? 
where can I learn this in our church? And so right away, what I wanted to do is I wanted to teach others. And that's why I started uh, when we moved out to Camano Island and I started going to Camano Chapel. I went up to Pastor Bill and I said, Bill, I would like to teach a class on how to study the Bible. And he said, knock yourself out. And so I did. Well, I didn't knock myself out, but I mean, I made an announcement and people signed up for the class. And so I started teaching how to study the Bible and Christian doctrine. And that's the core, that was the seed of what became Contenders Bible School and then the CDI. Bill said, your spiritual gift is teaching. I thought, well, I don't think so. Well, obviously it was, but I didn't see it. I had no idea what my spiritual gift was. You know, I could have been given that title. They could have said, you're a teacher. I could have gone to a Bible school and been a professor or whatever they call them. And it wouldn't have changed anything. But you see, that was what I was inside. I was doing that. And not only was I doing that, I had a pastor's heart. I cared about the people in my class. And so I would go and visit the people who were in my Sunday school class on how to study the Bible. I remember going to this one lady's house. She was a single mom, and she lived in, the house never got built. It was a, like a daylight basement. And she was just like in tears because it pipes had broken, it had flooded and everything. And I went to Bill and I says, Bill, what are we going to do? And he said, well, let's go. And Bill took me and we went and we tore out the carpet, tore out the linoleum, fixed everything and reinstalled stuff. He, he taught me that as a pastor, you take care of people, you know. So I had all these things in my life already. It wasn't a job somebody gave me. It wasn't a title that somebody assigned me. Just as an aside on that, um, there was a little bit of a rumor going around that, well, who does he think he is? Is he trying to take Bill's job? There was a village missionary at one of the summer camps we were at that told Bill, he said, you know, watch that guy. He's going to take your church. You know how I knew that? Bill told me laughing. He thought that was so funny. <laughs> I wasn't going to take his church. I didn't want to be the pastor. I just wanted to witness to people, to teach people how to study the Bible and then care for the people that were in my class. That's all I wanted. Now, I ended up becoming a village missionary, but God had already done a work in my heart. Get that? Okay, here we are in John chapter 2, because I want to go to John chapter 3. And they put this chapter break in the wrong spot. I don't know why they keep doing that, but they do. And chapter 2 is all about the first miracle that Jesus performed at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, made some really good wine, and he did some other stuff there. You can, you can read the rest of that, but as he goes to then Jerusalem, he's been up in Galilee, and then he goes on up the hill to Jerusalem because it was higher country, even though it's in the south, up to Jerusalem. He goes up there for the Passover, and that's where he goes into the temple. He turns the money changers' tables over, gets a whip, and drives out all the animals and stuff like that. And 
So this is the first time he did it. He did it again towards the end of his ministry. Two times he did the same thing. So the Jews are seeing these signs that he's doing because it's not just the miracles. It is the signs. This is symbolic of something, and they're going like, oh, what's going on here? And so people started believing in him. Look down at verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. What do we want? We want people to believe in Jesus. And here you got a bunch of people saying, oh, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe the signs. But he didn't commit himself to them. I think a lot of times, you know, we want people to make a decision for Jesus so we can make a check mark on our Bible and, and write down a number. Because we're obsessed with numbers, we're obsessed with results and stuff like that. Jesus is not as obsessed with results as we are, at least not the kind of results we are. He didn't commit himself to them because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knows what's inside. He looks at the heart, not at the outward thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll look at our hearts. I pray that you'll examine each and every one of us. I pray that you will reveal our hearts to us. I pray as we look at Nicodemus and as we look at the woman from the well next Sunday, that you'll show us where on this spectrum we are and show us what our individual need heart need is, for I ask it in your name, amen. We're going to look at two people. This Sunday and next Sunday, I don't know who's preaching after that. I know that Cliff Hoare is going to be here in the middle of November. I'm really excited about that, looking forward to that. But this Sunday and next Sunday, I want to talk to you about two different people, really different. I mean, you couldn't get more different than these two people. And, and the thing that's really cool about this, I'm really glad John gives us the, this vignette. And in fact, if you ever ask yourself, well, how did John know what was said in this private conversation with Nicodemus? How did John know what was said in this private conversation with the woman at the well? The other disciples had gone on into Sychar to get some grub, get provisions and stuff like that. Nicodemus had come to Jesus at night. So how did John know? He was there. It's like the obvious question, you know, well, if Cain killed Abel, who did he marry? Well, he married his sister. You know, there's some questions that are just kind of obvious, but it can go over the top of her head. John was there. And this was so significant. These two personal interviews were so significant that he takes a major portion of his gospel to record them. John will say later on, many other things did Jesus that are not written in this book. I mean, if I wrote everything down, the world could not contain the books. There's just, there's so much stuff. But these things are really key and really important. And as I look at these two people, they are so different. Nicodemus is 
one, he's a ruler of the Jews. That means he is part of the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling body. Now, not the, the Roman-emplaced civil government, but the religious government, which for the Jew was even greater. That was more important. And as we'll see, he was a Pharisee. He was not just well-educated. He was the teacher, the teacher of all Israel, the preeminent teacher of all Israel. Not only that, he was rich. Then you have this woman at the well in Samaria. She's not even a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Now, you know the difference between the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the non-Jews, and the Jews look down on the Gentiles. They still did business with them. They, I mean, they had commerce with them. I mean, and in fact, they even had room for them in the temple. They had the court of the Gentiles. There was a class of people that was lower, though, than the Gentiles, and that was the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the leftover dregs of the ten tribes of Israel that had intermarried and combined. Once they had been routed out of the land and Syria had come in and, and the foreigners had come in, and, and now these were kind of the half-reeds, and they had a competing religion. They had a competing place of worship. They claimed that they knew God, and they worshiped God in their own place. So there was this horrible competition that was going on. And in fact, the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. Now you have Jesus. These two groups are so far apart. This guy, Nicodemus, and this woman at the well are so far apart. But standing in between them is somebody from Galilee. Now, we all know that Jesus is the Son of God, right? We all know that he is the eternal Son of God. He is the Word of God who always existed as God, equal with God. We understand that Jesus is our Savior, and, and we're sitting here and at this point in human history looking back, and we understand all these things. But you have to understand that from their perspective, this guy from Galilee is just an itinerant preacher guy. Who does he think he is, really? And in fact, you can't even get from Jerusalem to Galilee without going around Samaria, because there's Samaria smack dab between them. And now that sets the story. But, or now, except the New King James just starts out chapter 3 with, there was a man, but in the Greek, and in some of your translations, it will say now, because there's a connection to those verses I read before in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2. That's why I'm saying they go here. Jesus knew what was in everyone, and he wouldn't commit himself to them, except but now, one of these guys, and it's not just an ordinary Jew of the street, now there was this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. 
Now, some people say, well, they came to Jesus by night because he was afraid of the other Pharisees, afraid of the other members of the Sanhedrin. Yeah, I, I know that some people think that. I don't really buy it, though, because I see him standing up for Jesus later on as we go through the Gospel of John, as, well, we won't, but you will. As you go through the Gospel of John, you will see Nicodemus standing up for him at some crucial points, and especially... He, along with Joseph of Arimathea, take Jesus down off the cross and bury him. So I don't think it was fear of the Jews. I think in his case, he didn't want a distraction. He was a serious inquirer. He wasn't somebody who was coming to try to trip Jesus up. Those guys did that out in public. No, this guy was different. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, do you know what that word means? <laughs> we say Rabbi. It means teacher, master. Not in the sense of Lord, but a teacher, a master teacher. Here is Nicodemus, a wealthy, powerful ruler of the religious sphere of the Jews, as we'll see later, the teacher with a definite article, not a teacher, the teacher of the Israel. And he calls Jesus, Rabbi, teach me. This is so dramatic to me as I realize who this man is, and he's talking to a Galilean. Teach me. And the reason he says that, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. It's not the miraculous things he's seeing. People saw the miraculous. They saw the feeding of the 5,000 with a couple of fish and a, some barley loaves. And that didn't create faith in them. You know what it created in them? A sense of dependence. And later they said, well, feed us some more. Show us another trick. Do something else. No. Nicodemus realized the things that Jesus was doing he knew the scripture, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. He knew the scriptures, and they were pointing to something. We know. Well, I don't know. Do you have a mouse in his pocket? Who's the we? It's not the royal we. This man is humble more than you would ever expect somebody in his station to be. No, I think he is pointing out the fact that the other Pharisees know the truth too. And there's a, a really important point here. You can know the truth, but if you don't embrace the truth, you will die without the truth. You believe in God? Swell. So does the devil. And he's scared spitless. That's what James says. Well, okay, editorializing. He says, and he trembles, not scared spitless, but that's the way I read it. 
The devil knows, but he doesn't trust and put his faith. And neither did the other Pharisees. We know that you're a teacher from God. Well, you would think that Jesus would say, you're on the right path here, Nick. You're right. I am a teacher sent from God. The way Jesus answers him is the way he needed to answer a person who was convinced of his own righteousness, who was convinced of his own understanding, who was sitting atop the ecclesiastical heap. There are a lot of pastors that need to get saved. There are a lot of professors in Bible colleges that need to get saved. There was at this time, I'm sure there are today. So Jesus said to him, most assuredly, or amen, amen, literally is the way it is, or verily, verily, if you have the old King James, most assuredly, that's what that Double amen means, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No matter how much study you do, and I'm all for people studying the Bible. You know, I want to teach people how to study the Bible, but if it just becomes bible tree, if the Bible just becomes an idol... you know everything there is to know about the Bible, but you're not born again, you're not saved, you're not going to go to heaven, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. You won't even get a glimpse of it. Dave Scott, one of our village missionaries from New Hampshire who was with us last week, I love Dave, he's a great guy, and um, he wrote about his trip back. And his, I could just tell his heart is breaking because he was seated on an airplane next to an older man. And Dave had his Bible, and so that opened up the conversation. This fellow, I, I think he was a pastor, a Unitarian pastor, a functional atheist. And they had this big discussion now, this guy knew a lot of Scripture, but he wasn't born again. In fact, he's an atheist, and he was hardened to it. How tragic. So this is jarring to Nicodemus. This wasn't what he was expecting. He was expecting maybe a didactic, a teaching from the rabbi. Yes, yes, the signs that I'm doing. Let me tell you about the signs that I'm doing from the Scriptures. I'm sure you already know them, Nicodemus, but I'll go over them with you. And we can sit around and we can have ourselves a theological discussion. Nope. You must be born again. Nicodemus is like, wait a minute. How can a man be born again when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, and be born? That doesn't make sense. Well, it wasn't a term that he was totally unfamiliar with because 
Gentile proselytes who wanted to get into the covenant of Israel, into Judaism, would be baptized and die out to being Gentiles and born again as Jewish proselytes. What was foreign to him is, why would I need that? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I need to be born again? I'm already a Jew. I'm already one of God's chosen people. I know the scriptures. In fact, I am the teacher of all Israel. Jesus answered and said, Amen, amen, truly, truly, or as in the New King James, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Even if you could get back into your mother and be born again, no matter how many times that happened, you would be born of what? The flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he gives him an illustration. Now, the wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you can't tell where it comes from, and you can't tell where it's going. So as everyone is born of the Spirit, you can't see this with your eyes. You can't see how somebody's going to be born of the Spirit. Um, how many of you have seen a baby born? I couldn't do that. <laughs> My hat's off to all the women. I've seen babies born. But I can't see somebody being born again. It's like the wind. I, I can't see the wind. How many have ever seen the wind? Well, you've seen the leaves blow. You've seen the trees fall down. You've seen, you've seen what the wind does. You've seen the sailboat all of a sudden just take off and go. You've seen the ripples on the water, but you never saw the wind. You saw the dust carried by the wind, maybe even a tornado, but you didn't see the wind. It comes and it goes, and I don't know where it came from, and I don't know where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. You can't see it with your eyes because it's a spiritual thing. If you just stick your thumb in there and turn with me to chapter 1, Got to see if I can do it with this. Now I know why they lick their Bibles. These pages are so thin. In the first chapter, and, and just look at verse 12. I mean, there's so much here, but verse 12. I'll get bogged down if I, if I go more than that. But as many as received him... This is the Word made flesh, the Logos, Jesus. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so Nicodemus... You need to be born again. So religious person. How many of you consider yourself, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a religious person. I know the Bible. 
Are you born again? Are you born of the Spirit? If you walk in the flesh, you'll die. But if you're born again and you're walking in the Spirit, you'll live. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Well, Nick, how can you not know? You read Ezekiel, we call it chapter 36, where God said he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and he's going to take that stony heart out of you, and he's going to put a new heart in you, a heart that will desire the things that he desires. It shouldn't be strange to Nicodemus. He should understand that it's the spirit of God Moving in a person's life, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of the Israel? The definite article, the, doesn't always come over in our translations, but it's there in front of Israel too. Are you the teacher of the Israel of God? Of God's holy people, you're the teacher and you don't get this? Most assuredly, I say to you, because remember Nicodemus had come and said to him, we know. He didn't know nothing. <laughs> but we know. And so Jesus feeds the we back to him. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you don't receive our witness. If I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then he gives them a great truth, an image that Nicodemus no doubt realized back in the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, of Jacob's ladder. No one has ascended to heaven, verse 13, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And then he gives them one other image. Nicodemus knew the story of the children of Israel and how they had murmured against God. And God had sent fiery serpents, poisonous snakes among them to bite them. And they were dying. And Moses is beside himself and he's entreating God for them. He's interceding for them. And God tells him to do something really weird. He says, make a stick, take a stick and, and make a snake out of brass and put it on there. It would have needed to have a cross structure to put it on and hold it up. And everyone that looks at the bronze serpent will be healed. And those that don't, they're going to die. And so in verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. These words will come back like a freight train. As Nicodemus sees Jesus on the cross, but why a serpent? 
Because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God poured out the wrath of all the indignation against sin on Jesus on the cross. And when Nicodemus saw that, he was forever changed. He was on his way, but that changed him, no doubt. Because when Jesus dies, he and Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus and prepare it for burial. Well, everybody else is booking it out of there. Nobody wants to be associated with that. All the disciples have left. Peter's done his denial. The cock has crowed. John's taken Mary. They've all gone. But Nicodemus and one other Pharisee, one other rich ruler, Joseph, take their stand for Jesus. You must be born again. I'm going to have you read the rest of the chapter on your own. But ask God to deal with your heart. I mean, he knows what's in you. You know, one of the things that is so distressing, I guess, for me, is to know that there are people who have been in the church that I have pastored, not just this one, but I pastored Arago Community Church too. And I also, in a sense, pastored at Camino Chapel. I mean, I was just one of the minions, you know, but I was pastoring those people in my Sunday school class is to think that there might be some of them that got educated in Scripture but weren't born again. Because you must be born again if you ever want to see heaven. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can move upon our hearts and quicken us and make us alive spiritually. You're the only one that can give birth. All of the preaching, all of the evangelizing is all futile apart from you working in our hearts. And I pray that you would work in each one of us. I'll stand at the head of the line. I want you to create a clean spirit in me. Renew a right spirit in me. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to be dominated by your spirit. And my prayer is that you will move like the mighty ruach of God that you are, the pneuma, the spirit. For I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, the same word that's translated, the wind comes from here and goes to there and you don't know where it is. In the Greek, that's pneuma. And later in that verse where he says spirit, and it's a capital S, same word, pneuma. The breath of life that God has breathed into us initially that we could be living beings that same breath needs to come so that we can be new creatures in Christ.